this last week at staff meeting, Cameron came with these ink block tests, okay, and said, hey, I'm going to show you these different pictures, and I want you to tell us what it is you see. And so this is part of the sermon where you get to talk to the people next to you and say, this is what we see, okay? And so let me show you the first picture here. It is right up here. What is it that you see? Don't give it too much thought, and if you really don't see anything, just enjoy the picture. So tell the person next to you, what is it you see? You have a few seconds left. So my mind went straight to the movie, How to Train Your Dragon, and I see Toothless there. That's what I see. And so if you've never seen it, they're a good trilogy of movies. But that's what I see. Here is picture number two. What do you see when you look here? Hmm. Some of you are like having to squint really hard when someone else tells you what they see. Maybe you see some seahorses or like some people playing drums. Those were brought up in staff meeting. Here's the third one. What do you see as you look at that? Tell you, for me, I'm reading this uh, Wings of Fire series, which also is about dragons, but like the last ones, like they're called like cricket and things like that. So I saw a cricket dragon thingamajig. That's what I saw. Based on what you saw, we have a counseling center available, so uh, you can uh, be able to go and talk about those kind of things later. But it's interesting because I knew um, what I was going to be preaching on this week. I actually did something similar with the staff, not showing pictures, but I said some certain words. And I said, when I mention this word, I want you to tell me what comes to your mind. So I said the word split. And so we got banana and we got gymnastics and bowling. Um, we talked about pain and uh, this idea of pants. Maybe you have a split in your pants. Uh, we also just talked about church and how sometimes there's church splits. We, I then asked about the word tear. What comes to your mind when you think of the word tear? And so we got the word sew, because you got to sew up those pants. Um, we talked about muscles, a muscle tear. We just talked about pain. We even talked about a piece of paper, let me see if I can talk, that is ripping, you know, being torn. And so we, we talked about that. Said, what about the word divided? What comes to your mind when you hear the word divided? And some math people are like, hey, I like divided. You know, you think about that. But other times we talk about uh, things that are divided maybe families, or our nation, or politics, or the pandemic, or arguing, and that which is not whole has been divided. I tell you that because we've been looking at this story over the past few weeks, and I like it for the fact of we get to see the whole picture. Now, that doesn't mean like we're not, we're looking at every single event in the Bible. We can't do that unless we were to spend a lot longer of a series to do that. But we're seeing how God's picture all fits together, how it's chronological. It's not just divided pieces that someone decided to write down. There's a purpose behind it. And we see that at the beginning, God made us perfect, but we messed up. And so in the Bible, again and again and again, he continues to save anyone who wants to be saved. Like he reaches out to them and we see how that culminates in Jesus on the cross, that we can be rescued, but that's not even the final rescuing, that one day he will return and that final rescue will happen. We see this upper story as we've talked about it in the story. 
But we also looked at what's called the lower story, these individual events that God uses for his purpose. And your story, your life right now that's being lived is part of the lower story that God wants to use to impact you and other people, essentially his kingdom. And so for the last few weeks in this story, we've looked at different kings and we looked at Saul and then David, and then we looked at Solomon last week. And so at the beginning of chapter 14, which is our text today, chapter 14 in the story, which is also 1 Kings 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that section. Um, But that's where we're reading. And we meet this man named Rehoboam. Okay, this is Solomon's son. And as soon as Solomon passes away, his son Rehoboam becomes king and Israel comes before him. And there's also also this man named Jeroboam who comes alongside Israel. Now, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, even though their names sound familiar, they are not like related in any way. Okay. But Jeroboam had been one of the officers to Solomon. And at one point he flees for his life. Well, now that Rehoboam is king, Jeroboam comes before him and says, there are some things that we want you to change. Like the way your dad led was pretty tough on us. And again, we knew some of that, but like the amount of building that we had to do, and he had lots of money come from us or family members to work certain things. We want you to take a step back, not not be king, but we want you to lighten the load upon us. And if you do that, we will serve you. And so Rehoboam says, okay, I need three days. Come back to me in three days and I will give you an answer. And so Jeroboam and all of Israel leaves and Rehoboam goes to his dad's advisors, those advisors who had been there for Solomon, says, here's the situation, what should I do? And they say, you ought to listen to the people. You ought to lead in such a way that you serve them. And if you lead in that style, they will serve you your entire life. But the text says that he rejected their advice, their counsel. And so instead, he then goes to some of his peer group, his buddies, his advisors, and says, hey, this is the situation. What should I do? And they say, no, 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 that's backwards. What you need to do is you need to let them know that you are the boss. You are the rightful king, and you make sure that they know that. And so when the three days are done and Jeroboam and the people come back, at that point, Rehoboam says, my father ruled you with iron fists says, I will rule you much harder. Like you will know that I am going to be king. And as you can kind of guess, based off the way that they had presented something to him, they didn't like that. They go away, Israel and Jeroboam, and they basically break off. There is now a tear, a split, a divide between the nation of Israel that will never be mended. From this point on throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it's called the divided kingdom because we have 11 tribes that follow Jeroboam as king and the tribe of Judah that follows Rehoboam as king. And there's texts that see some of Benjamin come over here as well. But you see the split that happens. And if you're to continue reading in chapter 14 of the story, you see that Rehoboam um, is pretty angry that these other people have broken off and he's like, I'm the rightful king. So he decides that I'm going to get an army together and we're going to go, you know, put down Jeroboam and such. So that way I still get to be king. And a man of God comes and speaks to him and says, you better not go do this because God says he will not be with you if you do this. There will be a lot of innocent bloodshed. And so at this point, Rehoboam does listen and they don't go off in battle. But he continues to be king for 22 years. He then passes away. His son Abijah becomes king for three years, and then he passes away. And so his son Asa then becomes king, and he rules for 41 years. 
And the Bible calls that he is a good king. He gets rid of the altars that people have like been sacrificing to other gods. He also gets rid of his grandmother who kind of uh, ruled in this queen mother kind of role. But you may go, well, that's kind of mean. Well, she was turning again the hearts of people away from the Lord. And he said, this is not right. And so Ace is this king of Judah. And there's a whole bunch more, but that's all that chapter 14 goes into. If we go back on this other side of Israel, Jeroboam is king for 22 years. And right off the bat, he makes a decision that is not wise. Like he looks at the people and goes, okay, I get the split that's happened. However, Jerusalem, the place that people go and worship is still in Judah. When people go back there to worship, their hearts may be changed and they may go back to serving Rehoboam and I can't have that. And so he builds these two altars in different places in Israel and says, you should go and worship at these altars. And he makes them into these golden calves because that worked out so well the first time. But that's what happens. And the people of Israel then go to these places and it says that their hearts were turned from God. And in chapter 14, you would read that continually there are other kings that follow after Jeroboam. And it ends with this guy named Ahab. And it says he did more evil than any of the kings before him. And so again, not the end of the kings or kings, there's still going to be more, but that's where our chapter 14 gets done. And if I were to summarize, just telling you what happens in our text, Israel is now split like this hurt happens. In fact, Judah and Israel continue to battle each other until 722 is when Israel is overtaken by Assyria and they never become a country again. Like they become just part of Assyria. What happens is later Judah in 583, they get overtaken by Babylon. And after quite a few years, they're allowed the opportunity to go back to their land and they do. And then they become Israel as we know it. And so that's how this divided kingdom starts, all because of what Rehoboam did here. Okay? Now, that's the text. I was trying to figure out what exactly is it that God really wants to speak to you and me from that. And I was going through like our uh, people who come on Sunday mornings and trying to think about our attendance. And I could not come up with a single person who is like the king of a country as part of our con congregation. I couldn't think of any of you that are like a queen mother. And so like, I can't make that connection either. But as I was thinking through the text, there are three areas that I think we should all evaluate our own lives and go, how am I doing at this? Am I doing well or am I doing not so well? Because some of the kings showed us things that were good and some not so good. And so these three areas that I want to talk about today is this idea of leading, this idea of listening, and this idea of loving. Those are the three things we're going to talk about. And so we'll start out with this idea of leading. God wants you and I to lead well. He wants us to lead well. Now, I told you that the kingdom of Israel splits into two, Israel and Judah. There are 39 kings from that point till the end of both of their reigns. And what you need to know is that there were 19 kings of Israel. Every single one of them is called a bad king. There are 20 kings in Israel or in Judah, and eight of them are called good kings, and 12 of them are called bad kings. Now, you may be going, well, what exactly determines whether you're a good king or a bad king? And the text tells us that a good king is someone who followed the ways of the Lord. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But someone who was a bad king is someone who did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And oftentimes, it would even refer to in Israel just as Jeroboam had done. Now I get it, a lot of kings, they would look up and see what their dad did, 
or they'd see what their grandpa did and they're just like, hey, we're just going to keep following this cycle. Uh, for some of them, maybe there's another country that's starting to worship a new God or something. And they're like, hey, this is the newest thing. You know, Israel, we didn't really get it back then. And so we now need to follow these things, which both sound like something that happens still today. But again, these people were choosing not to follow the God who had given them the power of being king. And what sometimes even really just completely blows my mind is when I read this verse about Jeroboam, like you'd think, okay, God has allowed you to be king. Listen to what God had told him before he was actually anointed king of Israel. In chapter 11, verse 38, God says this. He says, if you do whatever I command you, and if you walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands as David, my servant did, he said, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. So even before becoming king, God tells Jeroboam, if you follow my ways, your line will continue. I will create this dynasty. And yet right from the beginning, his own fear about his own power being taken from him and people going back to worship Rehoboam, it trumps doing the right thing. That fast. And so you see it affect the rest of the people of Israel. And so having told you that, I might just throw this question out to you today. How are you leading? Are you doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord? And even as I ask that question, you might go, well, I don't really feel like a leader. Like I'm not up in front of anywhere. Like I don't have big groups that follow me. Like I'm more of a follower than a leader. But I would challenge you that in some area of your life, you are leading someone. Some of you in your neighborhoods, people look to you for something. Some of you where you lead is at your workplace, or maybe you're on a team or at school. Um, for some of you, the place that you lead is at church in some capacity. If you are married and a husband, you are called to lead your wife. Parents, you are called to lead your children. Older siblings, you don't think your younger siblings look up to you? And there are all these different places that we are called to lead. And I would simply ask you, how are you leading? Like, are you one that is doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord? Are you someone that is living above reproach? Are you someone that is looking for the opportunities to serve others, that you deeply care about them, that you want what is best for them, that really with your words and your actions, you are trying to live the truth of God? How are you leading? And I know some people in this room would go, I would really like to lead well. But in my own life, like I've never seen it done well. Like I look at my parents and it was not well. Or I look at my job and it's not done well. And I, I'm not sure exactly how to do this. Can I tell you, even in those circumstances, that there's hope. Because as I look at chapter 14, I look at Asa he watched his dad and grandpa do things completely wrong and even worshiping these other gods and causing people to do it. And he said, nope, this is not what's supposed to happen. I am going to do that which God wants me to do. And so I can even imagine the struggle standing up against all the pressure from the nation. But he's like, this is what we're going to do because it is what is right. And I think about stories today where people say, I'm going to do what's right, not just what I've seen. And so I've seen this cycle get passed down over and over and over. And in my family, we will break the cycle of divorce. 
in my family, my temper will not be that which ruins every single night. In our family, we will not allow some sort of addiction to be that which holds on to us. In our family, we're not going to allow money to rule us, but we will be in charge of our money. In our family, we will serve the Lord. Even when I haven't seen it done well in my family before, we're going to break the cycle just like Asa did. And so my question is, how are you leading? And if you're doing well, like if you would look at your life and go, I really do feel like I'm following after God in a lot of ways, then my encouragement is keep it up. Like finish strong. Continue all the way up to the end of leading the way that God wants you to. And if you're looking at your life and going, I don't feel like I lead well, or even just certain areas, I feel like this area could be stronger, then ask God to help you. What is the first step that I need to take to be able to lead better in this area? And be encouraged that it doesn't just have to be by your own strength, but God will give you the strength to do it. Some of the kings led well and others didn't. Another question I would ask you today, just in evaluating your own life, is this idea of listening. We're supposed to listen to wise, godly advice. What kind of counsel do you have around you? Do you have wise, godly counsel? Because Rehoboam, he even went and asked and had the right answer, but he didn't listen to it. He instead wanted to listen to kind of his power-hungry friends and go, okay, this is what we're going to do. You may not know this, but I read about Jeroboam. Before he builds these calf altars, he asks people their advice. Hey, what should we do this? His advisors. And they say, yes, you ought to do this. Again, not wise, godly counsel. So they sought out people, but not the wise, godly counsel. I think about some of the words that Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, like just verse after verse after verse of listening to wisdom. So just listen to some of these. In chapter 11, verse 4. He says, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. Or in chapter 12, he says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. In chapter 15, verse 22, he says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Or in chapter 19, I could tell you, listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you'll be wise. Like over and over again, he says, don't just try to do life on your own by what you think is best. Seek out wise, godly counsel to help you with the decisions that you have to make. And so in your life, do you have that? Do you have wise, godly counsel? So you might say, well, you know what? I have these talk shows that I listen to, or I listen to the news. I've got social media. That's where I go for wisdom. Whew, okay, <laughs> I, I, I get there's some wisdom in some of those things. There's also a lot that's not so wise. As I think about that too, I might just encourage you that with the amount of information that we have at our fingertips, that it is even more important that we have people around us that can give us that godly wisdom, that know his word, that know his heart. In fact, I might even swing the pendulum the other way and you might think that I'm contradicting myself, but I'm not because I'm talking about the importance of wise godly counsel. Sometimes though, we go to our wise, godly counsel, and we never go to God. Man, I've got this problem. I need to go ask my friend. I need to put it on social media. Please help me with this. What am I supposed to do? When never once do we go to the author of it all, the one who can help us. And he's the one who's made it. He's like, I've got the answers. And I get that for some people, it's like, yeah, but I get my answer quicker when I talk to somebody else. Or like, but prayer is just really hard. Or I know the answer is somewhere in God's word, but that's a big book and I don't know where to look. Like I hear all those things. 
But I also know that he's the one that wants to come alongside and give you the answers. And if we don't seek him, there is a lot of pain and heartache that we may experience. In fact, Rehoboam didn't go to God and ask him any of these things. And it was not luck, but God wanted to spare some of the people and through this man of God, don't go battle them. And he did listen there. But how many times have we never chosen to listen to, to God? We need to seek wise, godly advice. And I think about this too. If, if we don't seek him like, and we get differing opinions from people, how do we decide which one's right? Like if I've never sought him, but I, this person tells me this and this ter- person tells me this, how do I decide which one really is the answer that I should take? And I kind of, well, I don't hate to say it because it is true, but I hate that it's the truth. A lot of us, the way that we choose what the truth is, which answer we're going to decide, is the one that we want to hear. Ah, this one's the least amount of work for me. This is the, maybe the quickest kind of um, benefits that come back to me. And, and that's the one that we wanted to hear all along. And so we wait till someone tells us, kind of like Rehoboam did, and that's the one that we latch on to instead of the truth. Or sometimes there are all these messages that have half-truths in them. Man, that can be deceiving. I mean, even Satan, when he came to Jesus in the wilderness, he used scripture, but man, he twisted it in just enough that there is truth here, but here's the other aspect. And if we're not going to the source of truth, then it is so easy to be swayed by these half-truths that sound pretty convincing. In fact, here in just a second, I want to show you a video that I wish I could have seen like a long, I saw it like 16 years ago and, and uh, I looked and looked and couldn't find it again. So Bryant made it up for me again. It's really great. And just this idea of these two messages that are so far apart and yet they're so similar. So I want you to take a look at this video. This is the truth. If we just turn things upside down, we can't know God and feel his presence. I'd be lying to you if I said that. The Almighty wants to be your Father, that God has a plan for your life, that He wants to know you, that you are wanted, that you can be loved, but you must know. You don't deserve any of this, and I am convinced of this because I know the heart of man. We are forever separated from God. I refuse to believe that under any circumstance that we can be loved by God right now, but because of our dependency on Christ, we have lost our connection to God. But there is so much more that you don't know. This is the truth. God is holy and we are not. You should know exactly the opposite is true. You should know exactly the opposite is true. God is holy and we are not. This is the truth. But there is so much more you don't know. We have lost our connection to God. But because of our dependency on Christ, we can be loved by God right now. I refuse to believe that under any circumstance that we are forever separated from God. And I'm convinced of this because I know the heart of man. You don't deserve any of this, but you must know that you can be loved, that you are wanted, that he wants to know you, that God has a plan for your life. The Almighty wants to be your father. I'd be lying to you if I said that. We can't know God and feel his presence if we just turn things upside down. This is the truth. The exact same words, but two complete different messages that are unfortunately believed by people on both sides. This one message that, yeah, there's no connection to God, you're too messed up. But the flip side, the truth that, no, God loves you and he has made a way and you are worth something. Sin does not define you. 
Do you have wise, godly counsel that in those moments you can seek for help? And do you seek the one who really is truth? I told you earlier that a lot of times we kind of just pick and choose based off what we want. Uh, it's interesting because Timothy was actually told about some of this by Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's the words that he wrote. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myth. They're going to listen to just what they want to hear, and that's what I'm going to follow. And even in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, we're warned, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Where's your foundation? It needs to be in God. We need to seek the voice of truth. And then after that, we need to listen to wise, godly counsel. Because if we don't, just like Rehoboam, our choices won't just affect us, but it can affect other people. So we need to lead well and we need to listen to wise, godly advice. Here's the third thing. We need to love. We need to love God wholeheartedly. And again, as we look at king after king, there are some that did, but most of them did not, including Rehoboam. And you see again, because of his choice, this split, this tear, this divide that happens within Israel. But you may not know it, but it's actually not because of Rehoboam that this actually happens. Oh, it's why it went into place at this time. But last week we looked at Solomon and how all these wives that he had ended up turning his heart from God because they worshiped other gods. And so we saw part of the scripture at the beginning, but I want you to hear all of it. In 1 Kings chapter 11, what God tells Solomon, he says, "'Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees,' says, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Said, nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. And I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one of the tribes for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. You see, it was because of Solomon, but now it's being played out because of Rehoboam's choice. Solomon's heart was not wholly after God. Now, later he did catch it again, and, and I believe based on Ecclesiastes, he turned back to God. But there are some things that affected people who followed him even after he turned. You know what? The choices and our consequences um, for other people can be effective even when we turn our hearts back to him. And so because of Solomon's choice, their line does not get to rule over all of Israel for the rest of the time. But when you counteract that to David, who had a heart after God, was not perfect. We saw that but his heart was after God, he said that your line will continue. That's part of the upper story. And so I see these two in contrast. One loved God wholeheartedly. And in fact, Jesus, when people ask him, hey, what's the most important commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God wholeheartedly. Because when you do that, it will influence you. When you do that, it will influence other people. And so those people that we talked about leading a while ago, all of a sudden, people at work and my family, their influence, their attitudes, their words, their actions, by the way that I love God, it influences them. And sometimes, not just while I'm alive on this earth, you know what I think about um, this truth? I think about a story that there was a worship minister uh, who was on his way home. And uh, 
there was someone driving the other direction and an animal ran out onto the road. And so that car swerved and hit uh, the worship minister's car. And so they had to quickly take him to a hospital and they did all these surgeries and, and everything was looking all right. His family was with him. The minister was with him. And later that night, he had a pulmonary embolism and he passed away. And so the preacher was with uh, the, the worship pastor's wife as she had to tell their three kids that the dad that they had been laughing with in the room earlier that day was now gone. He said she did a phenomenal job, which she said it was the Holy Spirit completely. And as she sat down to tell her three kids of 11, 5, and 2 that their father had passed away, she simply said these words, your daddy loved Jesus more than anything else. And more than anything else, your daddy wants you to love Jesus and to live for him. This idea of loving God wholeheartedly. If something were to happen to you and you were to pass away, would those be the words that anyone would say about you? Because that's what God wants, this relationship with you, that he loves you wholeheartedly and you love him back wholeheartedly. And kind of as we're coming to the end of the sermon, like my mind kept coming back to Jesus. And not just because it's a sermon, it's good to like tie things back into Jesus. But I was thinking about how well he does these things. Like the way that he led, we continue to follow him 2,000 years later. Not just us, but so many people around the world. The way that he listened, like I don't know all the conversations, you know, with the disciples and such. I'm sure he was a good listener. But then you watch the way that he listened to the Father. And this is important for me to take time with him. Man, he did a phenomenal job at that. The idea of loving, like I look in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, yeah, I really don't want to die on this cross, but I will do your will because I love you. And so he does it. Man, Jesus is the one that we all want to follow after. We should want to follow after because he does these things so well. But I'm also reminded of Jesus in another way. Because I told you the word split and tear and divide often has this negative connotation. But there's one time in scripture that I get so excited because of a divide, a split, a tear. You see, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And as he's there, he then says, uh, it is finished and his spirit leaves him. And at that exact moment, there's this curtain in the temple of God that separates this place called the holy place and the holy of holies that only the high priest can go in one time a year to offer up sacrifices, to be, to be the connection to God the Father. And when Jesus dies on that cross, that veil is torn from top to bottom and God says, you now have access to me, complete access to me. I want you to call me Father and I want you to feel the full extent of my love. Man, and that gets my heart going. And I hope if you have never said, I want to love God wholeheartedly, but today is the day, then here as we're singing, I encourage you to go to one of these decision points. Or maybe there's an area of your life that leading has not gone well, or you're not listening well, or even loving, there's this aspect, and you want someone to pray for you, can I encourage you to do that? Because I simply want to look at Jesus, and I want to be like him, and I'm thankful for what he has done. So let us be people that can imitate Jesus. If you have a decision to make, I encourage you to go to the decision point as we sing. So will you guys stand as we sing our invitation song?